0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the Monday, March 13th reading of the Greeley Tribune. My name is John Middleton. Today we will be reading the following main articles Weld Food Bank Braces for Increased Need as Extra SNAP Benefits Expire. Inflation Drives Up Costs, by Trevor Reed. League of Women Voters, hosting program on water conservation, from the Greeley Tribune staff. Roosevelt Charges Past Windsor with Explosive Third Quarter in 5A Girls Title Game, by Bobby Fernandez, followed by Miscellaneous Articles. Weld Food Bank Braces for Increased Need as Extra SNAP Benefits Expire, Inflation Drives Up Costs, by Trevor Reed. The expiration of additional federal food benefits this month is expected to put additional pressure on the Weld Food Bank, which has already seen an unprecedented need since the COVID-19 pandemic three years ago. We're already seeing record high numbers of clients coming in, said Stephanie Gauch, Chief Development Officer, and when we asked clients last month, about 30 percent of folks coming in for emergency food box received food stamps. So we assume at least that percentage of folks is going to be coming in more frequently. Congress in December passed legislation that ended emergency allotments for recipients of the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP. The program supports about 9% of Coloradans with funds to buy food. The emergency allotments gave an additional $95 or more depending on household size and the amount they were already receiving to help with the hardships associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. In my mind, if we weren't getting creamed with inflation right now, the hit wouldn't be so bad, Well Food Bank Executive Director Bob O'Connor said. O'Connor earlier this month spoke with a full-time working mother of three. She had recently earned a raise, enough that she lost her SNAP benefits altogether, as well as her medical coverage. She was sitting here almost crying, I don't know how to put food on the table for my kids. What do I do? O'Connor recalled. Through its direct service programs and partners, the food bank is providing food and meals for about about 45,000 times a month. Over the past year they've seen an 83 percent increase in new households using their services. Communication manager Weston Edmonds Said there are about 250 new families coming in each month. It used to be 60 or 70, he said. I think the worst thing is there's no end in sight. If you could take a look down the line and say, okay, everything is going to be perfect in six months, you can plan how to go through that. That's not going to happen. We've been dealing with this since the beginning of COVID, O'Connor said. It's getting worse and worse and worse. The large number of people in need has also affected the food bank's ability to connect people with other resources, Gauch said. Food distributions that once took place inside, where there was more time to interact with people, continue to be located outside since the pandemic, not for health reasons but to be able to serve the large number of people showing up each day, Gauch explained. If someone asks, certainly we will point them to find utility assistance or rental assistance. But unfortunately, it's not as thorough of a referral process as it used to be, she said. Weld County, of course, isn't alone in seeing this heightened need. Vince Hall, Feeding America Chief Government Relations Officer, told the Associated Press late last month that food pantries across the U.S. remain under immense strain. To complicate meeting the increased needs, food banks are also facing reduced supply, higher food costs, and higher fuel costs. Donations from agricultural producers and grocery stores are down about 70% since the pandemic, Gauch said, since there isn't as much excess food to donate. Food drives have also remained scant since the pandemic. As part of the Feeding America network, the Weld Food Bank has been able to work with other food banks to share donated food all over the country But those sources have dried up dramatically, O'Connor said. Though partnership with other food banks can still help bring down the prices through bulk purchases, he estimated food purchasing costs have doubled and even tripled. That's if you can even get a truck, he he said bank operates mobile food pantries throughout the county helping deliver food in rural areas that sometimes don't even have a grocery store. As of a couple of months ago, O'Connor said fuel costs to run the food bank's trucks were up $3,000 per week. Edmund said the food bank has seen a growing trend of multiple families arriving at the food bank in the same car as well as families moving. Most of their clients work but don't make enough to meet all their household needs, Gauch explained. People try everything they can not to have to come to us, Edmund said. They try to cut back, they try to double up, they try to do all these things and oftentimes it works for a little bit but eventually they find themselves needing that extra help. U.S. Representative Yadira Carveo, a Democrat representing the 8th Congressional District, said she's heard of the overwhelming need at food banks since the start of the pandemic. Carveo, who sits on the House Agricultural Committee, as well as the Subcommittee on Nutrition, Foreign Agriculture, and Horticulture, said she plans to work on hunger issues in Congress, including a fix for the expired emergency allotments. As a pediatrician, Caraveo saw the impact of SNAP on helping families meet their nutrition needs. She said, I'm working on something to see how we would be able to extend that increase since we're still seeing issues around inflation, continuing issues around the pandemic, and all of its effects on the supply chain, she said. Caraveo said it's important to get families in touch with resources like the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Hunger Hotline, which is run by Hunger Free America. The hotline provides people with information on how to obtain food through emergency providers, government assistance, and social services. The hotline can be reached at 1-866-3-HUNGRY, H-U-N-G-R-Y, or 1-866-348, Six four nine or one eight seven seven eight hombre h one eight seven seven eight h a m b r e or one eight seven seven eight four two six two seven three for Spanish five a.m. to nine p.m. or to eight p.m. Pardon me on weekdays. It's exhausting work, but it's rewarding. Edmund said of the food bank, "It's rewarding at the end of the day because." We know that we're helping our neighbors, and anyone can take a number of steps to help. With the ongoing need, there's an ongoing opportunity to help, Edmund said. Whether making a financial donation at thewellfoodbank.org, where $1 can provide three meals, hosting a food drive at a business, or volunteering, there's something for anyone to do right now, he said. They can come in here with their family or with their co-workers, and they can spend a morning or an afternoon with us getting their hands on the food, seeing the product, or even giving it out directly to families, he said. With this increased need, more food needs to go out. That means more food needs to be sorted, more boxes need to be made, more distributions have more people. We need more help. That's our big call to action. More volunteers and financial donors. League of Women Voters hosting program on water conservation by the Greeley Tribune staff. League of Women Voters Greeley Weld invites community members to a free virtual program titled Waterwise in our Backyard. Ruth Quaid of the City of Greeley Water Department built the local program addressing water conservation, how we can safeguard our water supply and achieve conservation goals. Since we live in a semi-arid climate, water supplies must be used wisely. The virtual program is set for 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Thursday, March 16th. Repres- representatives from other local agencies may be included, so check back for program updates at https://lwv.org. To access the program, uh, go to the, the League of Women Voters Greeley Weld website at lwv.org and click on the event on our calendar page. Log on. To the waiting room at any time after 6:25 p.m. on March 16, to be entered, to be entered into the virtual program. Roosevelt charges past Windsor with explosive third quarter in 5A girls title game. By Bobby Fernandez, Denver. Roosevelt's girls basketball team is built for speed, physically and mentally. And as the Rough Riders have proven all season long, in the blink of an eye, they can completely change the complexion of a game in their favor, often overwhelmingly. Saturday in the Denver Coliseum, second-seeded Roosevelt may not have completely overwhelmed the fourth-seeded rival Windsor. The Rough Riders didn't need to. At this point in the season, the margin of victory doesn't matter. Victory is all that matters. Roosevelt took control of a tightly contested Class 5A girls basketball state title game, sprinting past the Wizards 54-44 to in front of a raucous crowd. The Rough Riders, 26-2, won the first girls basketball state title in school history. It's just amazing. Roosevelt's multi-talented sophomore shooting guard, Rayanne Bonson Price said, we've been telling people all along we were going to do this. And to actually get here and do it, it's an amazing feeling. I'm so excited. While the Rough Riders took full advantage of just their third girls basketball title game appearance in program history, their first since 2003, Windsor, 20-8, was playing its third title game in the past three seasons. The Wizards' title game experience appeared to be paying dividends as Windsor led by a modest margin at halftime, 20-15, to 15, but was seemingly in control of the defensive-minded affair. That changed in an instant as Roosevelt raced out to a 32-23 lead in the first five minutes of the second half thanks to an explosive championship, champion-like 17-3 run. They're kids, right? Windsor coach Karen Nichols said. They're young kids that work their butts off for us. I'm grateful for the group I have, but when things matter the most, you've got to learn how to fight. I don't think we fought the way that we should have. While the Wizards struggle to make baskets all game long against the Rough Riders' smothering pressure defense, shooting 8 of 28, that's 28.6% in each half, Roosevelt shook off its slow start to absolutely scorch the nets in the second half. The Rough Riders shot 25 percent, that's 4 of 16, in the first two quarters before shooting 57.9 percent, 11 of 19 in the final two quarters. They have a lot of toughness and grit to them, Roosevelt's coach, Enoch Miller said, of his players. The difference in in the second half, we were aggressive. We needed to get the pace up. The Wizards tried to stall in the second quarter when they were up 4. They didn't want to run with us, it was obvious. Windsor may have suffered only 8 losses this season, but two of them came against the upstart Rough Riders. In Roosevelt's third game of the season, December 10th in Windsor, the Rough Riders trailed for much of the game before rallying to win 61-59 to in overtime. Players from both teams admitted coming into Saturday's title game there wasn't a lot they could carry, uh, carry from that early game. Both teams are different in mentality and in scheme than they were in the first couple of weeks of the season during, which, uh, w- during what one might consider a glorified preseason game. Still, when Roosevelt freshman power forward Kyla Hollier and her teammates sat in a plush Denver Coliseum locker room Saturday night staring at a slight deficit at halftime, one thing they could take away from their earlier encounter, if they could come from behind to beat the vaunted Windsor once, they could do it again. We were down at half But we weren't really worried, Hollier said. We were kind of nervous early, but we shook off our nerves and were like, let's just play our game. Why are we trying to play like somebody we're not? We just played our game and we played great. Bonson Pierce led the Rough Riders with 13 points on 5 of 8 shooting. Hollyer chipped in 10 points on 4 of 7 shooting to go with a game-high 9 rebounds. Five Roosevelt players each scored 8 or more points. Three Windsor players scored 8 or more points, led by senior guard Samantha Darnell's 13 points. Perhaps the most remarkable thing about the way the Rough Riders perfectly blended as a seamless, cohesive, running, gunning, and havoc-causing unit Roosevelt doesn't have a single senior on its 12-player roster. We're all here for each other, Bonson Pierce said. We're going to come back and do it again next year. Bobby Fernandez covers high school sports for the Greeley Tribune. Reach him at 970-392-4478 by email at bfernandez at or on Twitter at Bobby D. Fernandez. Downtown Greeley celebrates St. Patrick's Day early with annual Blarney on the Block by Tamara Markard. St. Patrick's Day may not be until Friday, but that didn't stop hundreds of people from gathering in downtown Greeley on Saturday for the ninth annual Blarney on the Block event. This is our third time coming to this. We came once before COVID and last year, explained Liliana Gutierrez. We're not Irish, but the kids love the parade and the dancing. It's just a fun thing to bring the family to. St. Patrick's Day, or the Feast of St. Patrick, is a cultural and religious celebration that takes place March 17th, the traditional death date of St. Patrick the foremost patron saint of Ireland, reports the History Channel. The holiday has evolved into a celebration of Irish culture with parades, special foods, music, dancing, drinking, and of course, a lot of green. While the morning started off a bit breezy and cool, things warmed up to a very pleasant 56 degrees in the afternoon. As Director of Downtown Experience, Alison Hamling and dozens of volunteers worked to get things set up before the crowd descended on the Ninth Street Plaza. The popular affair kicked off things at 2.30 p.m. with the Ent Credit Union parade filled with a mix of businesses, organizations, groups, dogs, and community members of all ages handing out a variety of swag and goodies two watchers lining the fourth block route. Entries in the parade this year included the Weld Amateur Radio Society, the local PT Cruiser Club, a gaggle of Irish wolfhounds from West Ridge Animal Center, the Weld County Fair, and more. And what seems to be a tradition, with parades in Greeley, the line of parade participants was followed by two Greelic Public Works street cleaners. I don't know what they're cleaning, we didn't have any horses this year, Hamling chirped through the microphone as members of the crowd laughed. After the parade, folks lingered to watch dancing performances from the McTaggart Irish dancers, listen to live music from the Northern Colorado Caledonia Pipe Band, and fan favorite, juice-o-the-barley. Alyssa Buckles, on newbie to Blarney on the Block, showcased a hobby she picked up over COVID, creating giant bubbles. As Buckles uh, dipped her strings and sticks into the soapy baskets, children stood nearby with bated breath for the bubbles that floated up into the sky. This is my favorite thing to do," Buckles said, smiling as children squealed and laughed. I was here for freeze days and the lady who organizes this had me come back. Rhonda Welch, former festival coordinator for Greeley, walked with the Greeley Blues Jam crew during the Ninth Annual Blarney on the Block Parade handing out flyers for the event taking place Saturday, June 3rd, at Island Grove Regional Park. The weather is so nice, Wilt shouted as she passed by a Greeley Tribune reporter. Bars and restaurants along the plaza offered Go Cup service, featuring several St. Patrick's Day-inspired beverages, as well as the holiday's traditional green beer. This year's event was hosted by the Greeley Downtown Development Authority and sponsored by the Greeley Area Chamber of Commerce, City of Greeley, Colorado Tourism Office, West Ridge Animal Hospital, Renewal by Anderson, Melissa McDonald State Farm, Rev Rev, Chiropractic, MyGreeley.com, and media sponsor iHeartRadio, and big 97.9. Colorado's Independence Pass John Doe, found in 1970, identified as lost legendary skier Gardner Smith. He flew in small planes, chasing winter, and had an expression, Whatever is right, friend, by Bruce Finley. Independence Pass in 1970 has been identified as legendary ski racer Gardner Paul Smith, a beat-era adventurer who, before he went missing at age 39, was revered as a free and easy companion. Whatever is right, friend, he would say. Now the daughter he abandoned, who since childhood has wrestled with a frustrating mystery is appealing for details from the end of his life chasing winter worldwide. Obviously, it is good to have closure, said the daughter, Jean Gaida, Gaida, a 60-year-old Texas real estate agent, in an interview this week. I feel sad that he seemed to have had a lonely, tragic ending. I'm still sorting it out. I'm just sad and that he was alone said Gaida, who interpreted his whatever is right friend expression as evidence of a kind and tolerant man who accepted others' thinking. Smith's exhumed remains sat for years in the Leadville office of a former coroner until last month when Colorado Bureau of Investigation forensic genetic analysts finally identified the remains using a DNA sample and genealogical sleuthing. Smith, who grew up in California at Boreal Mountain in the Sierra Nevada, became one of the nation's fastest skiers. He went to the University of Nevada in Reno and joined the Army in 1951, serving as a paratrooper before an honorable discharge in 1957. He emerged as a fearless, free-thinker inclined toward cutting-edge pursuits according to friends, family members, and old news stories. He and his fellow ski racer, Dick Buick, flew in a small crop duster plane, which had to stop every two hours for refueling as far as Chile. They landed during a revolution around 1954 in Guatemala, where authorities seized the plane and temporarily jailed them. On another flight, they landed and ran out of money near Acapulco, Mexico when they saw cliff divers with U.S. tourists looking on. They reckoned they could dive from higher up on the cliff into the ocean and did so, then collected from the tourists the fuel funds they needed to move on. Buch died in a 1957 plane crash. But in 1961, Smith had flown south again to Argentina where he met Jennifer Dawn Andrews, a British woman who grew up in neighboring Uruguay. They married and he became a father in 1962 before a divorce six years later. He drifted, moved between California and Aspen. A postcard to his mother dated from November 12, 1969, marked as the last she heard from him read, I'm doing all right, don't worry, love Gardner. The CBI breakthrough began begins to resolve a long-running Colorado high country mystery. The identity of the body found in June 1970 atop Independence Pass which closes during the winter. And what happened? An arm and parts of ribs were missing from the corpse which was cloaked in a sweatshirt, khaki trousers, multiple layered socks with, a, with an unworn sock pulled over the left shoe, and seven dollars with a razor in a pocket. The body likely had been out all winter in the snow. Authorities concluded from its location and condition after the state snowplow driver found it under rocks along a switchback just east of the 12,095-foot summit. The remains became known as the Independence Pass John Doe and were buried beneath a metal unidentified male marker in Leadville's Evergreen Cemetery where it ranked as the newest of 41 unidentified bodies. Cemetery caretaker John Pearson, a Vietnam War veteran, noticed the marker, so did Boulder County based cold case researcher Sylvia Petham, who contacted CBI and pushed Lake County Sheriff to exhume the remains around 2013 to enable DNA sampling. Then Smith's remains in a casket sat in the office of former Lake County Coroner Shannon Kent. As a result of other unrelated mishandling of the dead, Kent had been jailed. He was sentenced last month to 180 days in jail for an unlawful cremation and was found guilty by a jury in 2021 of second-degree official misconduct. He surrendered his license to operate funeral homes in 2020 after a state probe. If this was your father, you would want his skeletal remains sitting around. Would you want his skeletal remains sitting around in some coroner's office all these years? Petham said. Part of my desire to identify people is to give them respect. No record of an autopsy has surfaced, but CBI officials said there is no evidence of foul play. Speculation about how he died there in the tundra persists. Maybe he hiked up there with the intent to hike back down. Maybe he got caught in a sudden storm and suddenly it got very cold and he got disoriented, Petham said. You wouldn't think it would happen to a professional skier. You'd think he would have had more sense, would have worn warmer clothes. Growing up in California, Smith learned skiing at the Boreal ski area that his father Paul Smith had developed. On the Nevada University ski team, he trained fiercely, perfecting his technique, once running giant slalom courses on cross-country skis as an experiment for honing his balance. He had survived a high-speed crash into a pole that broke his back. Smith was Compact and powerful, walking with the resolve and posture of a marine sergeant, wrote Dick Dorworth, a ski racer himself, a longtime friend 10 years younger, who in 1983 wrote a ski magazine profile, The Mystery of Gardner Smith, wondering where he had gone. Beyond skiing, Smith was a humanist, Dorworth wrote. He was curious about what it meant to be a human being. His racing glories of the 1950s when he won the Roach Cup and other trophies faded, and in the 1960s Gardner began to drift, according to Dorworth, who drew from conversations they had in Aspen. He landed in various parts of the world, and Gardner acquired a fascination with psychic phenomena and the latent powers of the mind, Dorworth wrote in the profile. Dorworth refused to accept Smith was dead, hoping he was out there somewhere, practicing psychic slalom on cross-country mind waves. He'd last seen him in 1968 when he was living on the road and needed a place to crash and stayed for a week. The clear intelligence and honest intensity I knew and admired as a boy were still active and evident. Some folks thought Gardner had slipped over the line of sanity, not me. He looked terrible, but there was nothing wrong with his mind. That a healed heart, some rest, and a little attentive encouragement wouldn't cure. His daughter grew up without him, wondering why and where he had gone. Gaida's mother, Jennifer Andrews, the ex-wife of Smith and in Argentina, wouldn't share anything. Her death in 1994, she said, it was a difficult time for us as mother and daughter. She kept it so private. The identification of her father has catapulted Gaeta anew into a flurry of searching through old photos, news clippings and letters, trying to make sense. Smith had invented a ski pole grip and double glass Twindo ski goggles of the sort now widely used, and Gator last week found correspondence showing how he had tried to market these with major gear companies. He just couldn't get to that next step. She plans to cremate the remains ahead of a ceremony at Boreal. It will be good for him to have his ashes scattered and be with his parents where he first fell in love with skiing, she said. I'm looking for somebody who can help me fill in the blanks. Colorado advocates seek more funding for birth control family planning in wake of Roe v. Wade reversal. State program doesn't fund abortions, but Dobbs decision has increased pressure on family planning clinics. By Meg Wingerter of the Denver Post. The ongoing pandemic and the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year have increased demands on Colorado's family planning clinics, prompting some advocates to call for more state funding, but that's not clear if the legislature will respond. Hunter Nelson, a policy analyst at the Colorado Children's Campaign, said the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs v. Jackson, which found the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion has increased pressure on family planning clinics. Colorado's family planning program doesn't pay for abortions, but some clinics like Planned Parenthood offer both abortions and state-funded services like birth control prescriptions and testing for sexually transmitted infections. Planned Parenthood reported a 95% increase in out-of-state patients seeking abortions after some states outlawed the procedure following the Dobbs decision leaving fewer appointments available for other services. Wait lists are going from a couple of days to a couple of weeks, Nelson said. We want Colorado to have the capacity to serve both Coloradans and out-of-state travelers. Colorado's family planning program covers contraception, pelvic exams, screenings for breast, cervical, and testicular cancers, basic infertility services, and pregnancy testing and counseling. The Colorado Children's Campaign asked the Legislature's Joint Budget Committee for a $2 million increase for the Family Planning Program. The state estimated the program costs an average of $404 per patient, meaning an additional $2 million would increase the number of patients served by just under 5,000. The state doesn't provide the services directly, but contracts with 80 clinics. Andy Bixler, spokesman for the Colorado Senate Democrats, said the Joint Budget Committee is still debating a possible increase for the family planning program, and it's too early to say what they might decide. Maria Livingston, a spokeswoman for the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, which runs the family planning program, said she couldn't comment on pending legislation. In the most recent year, the program received about $10.1 million in state and federal funds. In 2019, the State Health Department estimated about 93,000 women and teenage girls had an unmet need for contraception meaning they weren't pregnant and didn't want to get pregnant in the immediate future, but were uninsured or felt they couldn't use their insurance because of concerns about confidentiality. About 44,000 of them received services in 2022. The program also serves men, but in much smaller numbers. Shanti Meyer, Senior Director of Medical Affairs at Stride Community Health Center, estimated the number of people seeking family planning services at their clinics is 10% to 15% higher than it was in 2020. It's difficult to disentangle the effects of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade from the pandemic and other factors that made people feel it wasn't a good time to have a baby, she said. Though clinics that offer abortions have referred patients who are seeking contraception or testing to them. Us and other health centers can help offset for patients who are looking for family planning services, she said. Women who become pregnant unintentionally are more likely to report depression, experience intimate partner violence, and start prenatal care late contributing to higher rates of complications for their babies. The outcomes tend to be worse when the mothers are still teenagers since they are less likely to graduate from high school and more likely to live in poverty than those who had children later. A University of Colorado study estimated at least half of the decline to births to women under 25 between 2010 and 2014 were due to increased access to contraception. It estimated the state saved between 66.1 million and 66.9 69.6 million dollars on Medicaid and other programs for low-income families. The abortion rate among younger women also fell. About half of the program's funding comes from Title 10 a provision of the 1970 public health law that made federal dollars available to provide contraception, tests for sexually transmitted infections, and family planning counseling for low-income people. The State Health Department applied for an additional $5 million in Title X funds in 2022, but didn't receive them. Clinics in Colorado family planning program attempt to bill insurance first then charge patients on a sliding fee scale and finally seek reimbursement from the state. About 77 percent of patients live below the poverty line though and aren't charged. The state health department showed nearly half of Colorado's counties don't have a provider participating in the family planning program. It's possible that women in those counties have access to at least some services through other clinics or private providers, though. More state funding wouldn't immediately close the gaps since it takes time to recruit new providers, Nelson said. But putting money toward attracting new providers and possibly offering higher rates would improve access in the long term, she said. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's always accessible, she said. Meyer said that the state could also increase access by offering training for providers who aren't accustomed to handling intrauterine devices and contraceptive implants. While today's medical students are learning how to place long-acting reversible contraceptives, older providers who don't see a large number of patients seeking contraception may not know how to use use them, she said. The State Health Department also could increase access by doing outreach to undocumented people, letting them know they won't be reported if they seek services and by offering information in more languages and in places where immigrants and refugees congregate, Meyer said. Many people who have recently immigrated are at an age when they could have children, But they often don't know there are services available to help them control when that happens," she said. It needs to be really grassroots community types of marketing, she said. Opinion: Ron and Thelma Edgerton, Go West Film Festival to honor memory of Bob and Monica Kahn by Ron Edgerton and Thelma Bear Edgerton guest columnists. I had no idea that American Westerns could be so diverse. That's what a visitor from London, England said after watching a dozen movies screened by Greeley's Go West Film Festival. And the discussions after the movies are amazing. Recently we lost two beloved people who who, who had a lot to do with both our diversity and our amazing discussions. Bob and Monica Kahn announced back in January they would miss our next board meeting because they'd be driving to South Padre Island for winter vacation. As we know now they lost their lives before arriving at their destination. We have been mourning the loss of these two beautiful, generous, and dedicated local citizens ever since. Bob and Monica loved western movies. That's why they served as Go West Film Fest board members for so many years, but they wanted our film festival to break new ground. With all due respect to Hollywood's renowned Western movie stars John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Gary Cooper, and others, they supported the inclusion of Westerns with more diverse points of view. Think of The Power of the Dog, Land. Woman Walks Ahead, and a host of other films in which we are reminded that women also came West and continue to do so. As Monica reportedly pointed out, repeatedly pointed out, women captured the ethos of the West, individualism, straight talk, entrepreneurship, determination, courage, risk-taking, loyalty, and hard work just as wholeheartedly as their menfolk did. Think of other movies, Django Unchained, Smoke Signals, and El Norte, among others, that remind us of how incomplete and hackneyed Hollywood movie stereotypes of the West have been. And as Bob always emphasized, think of Lone Star, Tender Mercies, Brokeback Mountain, Lucky, Nebraska, and The Great Divide to be reminded of how this genre of movies keeps reinventing itself to deal with current issues and concerns. Over the past eight years each of those films has been screened by the Go West Film Fest along with dozens more. Every year audiences also enjoy a silent film accompanied by virtuoso keyboard artist Rodney Sauer. In 2022 Charlie Chaplin delighted audience members as he just barely and hilariously survived the gold rush. A young Shirley MacLaine and an equally young youthful Clint Eastwood joined forces in Two Mules for Sister Sarah 1970, after which a much older and wiser Eastwood opted to stay in Mexico rather than return to his homeland in Cri Macho. And in 1922, uh, 2022, pardon me, Audiences got to meet a number of filmmakers and producers in person watching their films and asking them questions about their work. We will honor Monica and Bob Kahn when the Go West Film Festival returns later this year, November 6 to 11. They were two of the many great people who have made Greeley into a city that embodies Horace Greeley's call for Americans to go west. We hope you will join us. Ron Edgerton is a professor emeritus of history at the University of Northern Colorado. Thelma Bear Edgerton was the longtime director of the Young Chautauqua program for greeley Evans School District 6 among other roles throughout the community. They are both members of the Go West Film Fest Board of Directors. Gnarly Trombone back when music meant something by Mike Peters for the Greeley Tribune. Okay, we need to talk to our younger folks about important things like their taste in music. That's right, like in our day, music is important in settling your mood in helping relate to society in getting the intellectual stimulation our brains need. Unlike in our day 60 years ago, music today just doesn't help young people in what they do. Don't give them the support they need, doesn't give them the support they need. So just to help them get along I found some of our old songs that helped us get through those difficult times. For example the importance of finding the proper foods for our good health. Lollipop, 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 so on and so on. Uh, You see it helps us decide what foods are good for us and what are not and then we have i asked my witch doctor what's good for me and you he told me these words will make you love me true ooh walla walla bing, bang ah ting tang walla ding bang when i sent those words to my wife on a love note you could see how surprised she was by the look on her face. Or clothes selection. Who wears short shorts? We wear short shorts. They're such short shorts. We like short shorts. Who wear short shorts? We wear short shorts. Or other classic renditions of proper clothing and attire. It was nitsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka dot bikini so on. Or, in the process of meeting new folks, there are the proper greetings. Alleyoop, oop, 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 he's the toughest man there is alive. Alleyoop, wears clothes from a wildcat's hide. Alleyoop, he's the king of the jungle jive. So on. And then there are the dangers of life and the terrible things we might encounter. They don't write about them today, but we did back in the old days. It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. It was difficult for us to decide, did it just eat purple people, or was was the eater a flying purple people eater? Or we had the songs that reminded us of the respect we should have for our elders. The little old lady from Pasadena, she drives real fast and she drives real hard. She's the terror of Colorado Boulevard. Go granny, go granny, go granny, go. And then there's the one important song about driving and not letting things disturb you. Keep your mind on your driving, keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your snoopy eyes on the road ahead. We're, we're having fun, seven little girls sitting in the back seat, kissing and hugging with Fred. Now, I don't remember who the seven girls were with Fred or even who Fred was, but the song helped me concentrate on good driving. And there were lessons about our behavior and duties in, in the family. Take out the papers and the trash, or you don't get no spending cash, and so on. Yakety yak, yakety yak. Nowadays they just don't get that kind of valuable lesson from their music. Oh, maybe they do, but I just can't understand anything they say. The name gnarly trombone bone was taken. From the 1871 Cincinnati newspaper that misread Horace Greeley's handwritten name of the Greeley Tribune. Mike Peters is a retired Tribune staff writer. He may be emailed at mrpeters peters twenty six at comcast dot net. Obituaries: An obituary for Paul Beisel, 1933 to 2023. Paul Curry Beissel, 89, of Greeley passed away on Monday, March 6. Paul was born August 27, 1933, to Cleone and Faye Russell Curry. He graduated in 1951 from Albion High School in Albion, Nebraska. And in 1952, he married Lois Nadine Bringelman. Paul and Lois raised four children, Randall Scott, Kenneth Curry, Bradley Scott, and Elizabeth Fay. He worked as an HVAC technician and assistant pastor uh, to Washington. He also worked at Continental Corn while attending Omaha Baptist Bible College, where he got his master's in theology. Paul also worked for Gates Rubber Company in Denver and was the facilities director for Weld County School District number six for 20 years before retiring. Paul served on the board for for Boys and Girls Clubs of Greeley and was Deacon in his church. Paul loved God, his family, and animals. Paul is survived by his children Randall Beisel of Greeley, Bradley Bisel of Greeley, and Elizabeth Robin of Indianapolis. Two grandchildren, Shanna Stinnett of Greeley and Daniel Beisle of Yukon, Oklahoma, and four great-grandchildren, Alyssa Elijah Joseph Jamison. He was preceded in death by his wife Lois and son Kenny. A viewing will be held at noon on Friday, March 17th, with a funeral service to follow at 1 p.m. at Living Grace Baptist Church, 3251 West 22nd Avenue, Greeley. Interment will be at Sunset Memorial Gardens, 3100 West 28th Street in Greeley. In lieu of flowers, please donate to the Weld County Humane Society, www.weldcountyhumane.org. Fond memories and expressions of sympathy may be shared at www.stoddardsunset.com for the Bysel family. obituary for Richard Cutler. Please join us in a celebration of life for Richard L. Cutler at the Eaton Area Community Center located at 1675 3rd Street in Eaton on March 19th from 2 to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us for the Greeley Tribune. My name is John Middleton. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.